0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to the guests and visitors we have joining us on this cold November morning. As we uh, anticipate the end, the end coming, the end being near, uh, the end being imminent, as we come to the last Sunday in the church year, and we rejoice as we hear Jesus's warning uh, of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew chapter 25. And so with that, I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin as we hear a summary of our readings this day. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The arrival of the bridegroom will be sudden and unexpected. Therefore, you are to be watchful and ready like the five wise virgins, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is to return. The lamps are the word of Christ. The oil in the lamps is the Holy Spirit who works through the word to create and sustain the flame of faith in Christ. The foolish are those who do not give proper attention to the working of the Holy Spirit in baptism, preaching, and the supper, and so their faith does not endure. The wise, however, are those who diligently attend to these gifts of the Spirit and who therefore have an abundance of oil. The flame of faith endures to the end. By God's grace, they are received into the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth created by the Lord for the joy of His people. We do have great joy to receive oil in our lamps this day as we receive the Lord's body and blood and the fellowship of this altar. And as our Lord bids us, we come in unity. That is, confessing not just the same thing about the supper, but also uh, the whole of what it is that we confess as Christians. Therefore... In accordance with his word, I ask that all those attending the Lord's Supper here this day be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, joining in that one confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is Divine Service Setting 3. As it begins on page 184, we now sing the first hymn. <laughs> O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament reading for the last Sunday of the church here is from Isaiah chapter 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but only a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. <clears throat> Pardon. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The epistle is from First Thessalonians, chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. For you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Saints, the end has come, at least the end of the church year, that is. You see, next Sunday, the season of Advent begins, and that means the current church year will end this coming Saturday. Now, for those of you keeping count, that's the 26th. With the end of the church year comes Jesus' teaching about his return and also the end of the world. Now, last week we heard of the sheep and the goats, how Christ will separate believers and unbelievers on the last day. This week, in Matthew 25, we hear of the wise and foolish virgins. Now, in this parable, Jesus teaches his disciples and his church about the importance of abiding in his word and sacraments until the last day comes. There's a lot that's going on in this parable, and so this morning, we will dig into the full meaning of Jesus' teaching, we will listen carefully to his warning, and we will hold fast to his blessed gifts of grace. So... Let's get going, shall we? Jesus says, "Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now for the sake of context, it is helpful to know that Israelite weddings were different from our weddings today. On the wedding day, the bridegroom or the groom, he would get dressed for the wedding and with his friends, um, or rather get dressed for the wedding, and his friends would escort him to his bride's house once at the bride's house. She would come out with all her bridesmaids, and then the whole wedding party would process to the wedding feast, and then ultimately, the consummation of all things would be when the groom would take his bride to the home that he had prepared for her during the engagement. This calls to mind Jesus' words about the preparing a place for you, that is, his church. Despite the cultural differences, weddings and wedding feasts were joyous events, just as they are today. Now in the parable, the virgins, the bridesmaids, they're supposed to wait for the groom and be ready for his arrival regardless of the time. Didn't matter what time he would arrive, you need to be ready. Listen to what Jesus says. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took oil with them. But the wise, or they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, first of all, notice that they all fell asleep. They are all negligent in their waiting. Their responsibility was to stay awake until the coming of the bridegroom. They failed. This calls to mind the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Try as they might, sleep overtakes them. That event just being days after when Jesus would have spoken this parable, because this was during Holy Week. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, what about the difference in the foolish and wise virgins in the parable? Well, it could be that the foolish bridesmaids thought the groom would come quickly, hence why they didn't bring the extra oil. But regardless of what their train of thought was, they are proven in their actions to be foolish. Why? Well, the bridegroom doesn't come until midnight, literally until the middle of the night. That's what that word means. All the bridesmaids fell asleep, but the five wise bridesmaids, they were prepared. They had oil. The five foolish ones, they have lamps that will not stay lit in the deep darkness. In desperation, they try to bum some oil from the five wise virgins, but they are told, no way. If we did that, none of us would have oil, and all of our lamps would go out. The only solution for the five foolish bridesmaids is to try to find a first-century 24-hour Walmart that has some lamp oil. It's not looking good for the foolish bridesmaids. So, what happens to them? Jesus said, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, you might be thinking to yourselves at this moment here, didn't the five wise bridesmaids, those five wise virgins, speak up for the foolish ones? Wouldn't the bridegroom know who was and was not in the wedding party? Remember this, though. The parable is about Christ's church, his return, and the end of the world. To understand the parable, it's crucial to understand the symbolism of the lamps, the bridegroom's return, the door which was shut, and the bridegroom's words, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. So let's unfold the meaning of these things one at a time. First, There's the lamps. The lamps and the oil, they represent the faith given in holy baptism by the Holy Spirit. Now, I preach on baptism all the time. And the reason why is because of its importance. It is foundational. It was at your baptism that God the Father claimed you as his own and joined you to Christ's death and resurrection. You do not belong to this world. You do not belong to the devil. You belong to God. You are his treasured possession. You were bought with the holy, precious blood of Christ. Your life, therefore, is not your own. You are God's redeemed child, forgiven child, marked with his holy name, sealed with his Holy Spirit, and you are, each and every one of you, a member of Christ's church. In Jesus' parable, each of these ten virgins, these bridesmaids, they're all Christians. They all have faith. They all have a lamp with oil So it is with all of you who have been given the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, to put you into this parable, you have a lamb and you have oil. And so this begs the question, what does it mean that the foolish virgins don't bring oil with them and the wise ones do? Well, now we're getting to the heart of the parable and down to Jesus' warning. To be blunt, there are baptized Christians in this world who have the gift of faith in Jesus. It was given in their baptism But they don't care about that God-given gift. These are Christians who rarely, if ever, read or hear God's word on any occasion. Other than Christmas or Easter, worship is something that they attend only if nothing else better is going on. And as for prayer, why? God knows what I'm thinking, right? Unless, of course, prayer can then be used as a defense against why they don't attend worship. Then you might hear something like this, Oh, but I pray every day. As for regular reading and study of the Bible... Well, that's only for super religious people, and you wouldn't want to be one of those, would you? Such people claim to have faith in Jesus, but they don't get all excited about it because the relationship that they have to God is not important to them. At least it's not as important as you fill in the blank. You've all heard the excuses. We all know people like this. You see, faith is a living and active thing. Cut off from the word of God, which nourishes and strengthens it, the faith of a complacent Christian is anemic, it is starved, and it is flirting with spiritual death, which is unbelief. In Jesus' parable, the foolish bridesmaids, those foolish virgins, represent those Christians who will not persevere in the faith. In other words, they had faith at one time, but they neglected God's gift of faith, and they neglected the very things which feed, strengthen, and sustain faith which are God's word and sacraments. The foolish bridesmaids represent every single Christian who at one time had faith in Jesus, but then they rejected that gift by neglect. It doesn't matter whether that neglect was intentional, a a result of apathy. There's actually a word for this. It's acadia. It is an ancient sin that the church talked about very often until more recently. Or it could be that these folks were just too busy for God's word. These foolish ones are ultimately shut out of heaven because they rejected Christ in unbelief. That is what it means that the door was shut on the wedding feast. And that is why the bridegroom Jesus says, Truly, or in the Greek, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. These are chilling words which call to mind when God shut the door of the Ark of Noah, leaving the unbelieving world to drown in the flood. Ultimately, we see that it is not God's fault that the foolish virgins, those foolish bridesmaids, are shut out of heaven. It is the foolish one's fault. They denied God's word and sacraments for so long that the lamp of their faith burned out and it would not be lit again. Separated from God's means of grace, that is, again, his word and sacraments, faith cannot survive. Without oil for the lamp, the lamp will not burn. This brings us back to the parable. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, and until he returns, we are waiting in faith. Jesus tells us, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He will return to us quickly and suddenly. In the parable, the cry that is heard in the middle of the night is merciful. Upon hearing the cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The virgins wake, and they rise, and they trim their lamps in preparation. For those who have faith in Christ, those who persevere in the faith... Christ's return is a glorious and joyous day. In fact, it is the most joyous day. The day we anticipate as each and every day comes and goes. All who have faith in Jesus will be welcomed into the wedding feast, welcomed into the place that he has prepared for you, his bride, the church. However, for the foolish ones, those who ne- their neglect of the faith eventually becomes an all-out rejection of their Savior. There are only these words. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you." These words are stunning, and they are terrifying, and they should shake us to the core. You see, though we are gathered here this day around God's word and sacrament, we also need to take heed lest we fall. The transformation from wise to foolish, it does not happen in one day. Jesus warns you today because he does not want you to neglect and ultimately reject the forgiveness and salvation that he won in his crucifixion and resurrection and that he has given you in his word and sacrament. See, in American Christianity, there's a disturbing trend. It's been going on for quite some time. I saw it growing up in the church myself and see it all the more today. In fact, there are times where I see it in myself. It's a temptation. And I can't think of anything else of describing it other than to call it bare minimum Christianity. It is a sinful attitude and way of thinking that treats faith in Christ as though it were some sort of undue burden. This attitude, it causes thoughts like the following to spring into our minds. Seriously? All three Bible readings are long today? Uh, Doesn't God know the chiefs come on at noon? Or... Wait a minute. You're telling me this hymn has eight stanzas? Okay, kids, pack it up. We're leaving. We don't have that much time for God. Do you see what I mean? As God's child, hearing the word of your heavenly father should not be a burden, especially if the worship service is the only time that you hear or read God's word all week. This attitude reveals itself just as much when it comes to the length of the worship service also. If hearing God's word and receiving his gifts takes an hour, thanks be to God. But if it takes 5, 10, or, Lord have mercy, 15 minutes longer than an hour, you'll spend the rest of the day complaining about it. Bare minimum, Christianity does not stop with Sunday morning, however. It can be seen all throughout the week. It is seen when we try to avoid our God-given identity as Christians in order to just blend in and be comfortable in our pagan surroundings. And they are all the more pagan each and every day. Now, if it sounds like I'm just taking pot shots at you from the pulpit today, know that I am struck by these words as well. I bring this up because we all need to hear it. I'm pointing out a sinful attitude that can ultimately, if it is left unchallenged, lead even you, dear saints, to neglect and even reject the God-given gift of faith in Christ. Now, some people, they might hear this, and they're protesting in their hearts and minds, and they're thinking that I'm advocating an unrealistic or even a false view of the Christian life— a view which would require us to be unrealistically happy all the time and view the world through rose-colored glasses, sort of like the old Ned Flanders character from The Simpsons, if you're familiar with him. I'm not saying that. Nor am I saying that we should neglect our God-given vocations in order to study the Bible for hours upon hours on end, even neglecting sleep for such a venture. I'm not saying that either. Monasticism tried that, and it failed. Please also know that I'm not saying worship needs to be two hours long in order for it to be God-pleasing. Again, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, that you and I as Christians, as God's redeemed people, we have been given unimaginably good and gracious gifts by our Heavenly Father, who has lavished His love and His mercy upon us in ways we can scarcely comprehend. And so therefore, let us not despise these gifts. We should delight in them. Rather than giving in to our sinful nature, which would always have us turn away from the word of God. Instead, let us cling to the word of God and rejoice in the Lord's kindness and love toward us. And remember who it is that God has made us to be in baptism. His beloved, redeemed people. You know, it's really amazing to contemplate. And we're drawing near to the annual celebration of this. Where we contemplate and rejoice in the incarnation of Christ. God took on flesh human flesh and came and lived among us born of a virgin mother born in the most humble way imaginable we would have never done this and we wouldn't believe it were true were it not written in the Bible but Christ Jesus came and kept the law in our place every single one of the Ten Commandments never breaking one in thought, word, or deed not for one moment of his entire life and what does he get for that? He goes with joy to the place that we should occupy, the cross. For he was crucified and resurrected in order that you would be set free from sin and forgiven. And dear saints, you are. You are set free. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. In baptism, you were joined to his death and resurrection. And God himself cleansed you of your sin. It doesn't look like much. The man in some robes sprinkles some water and says some words. But God promises us, in no uncertain terms, that this is His washing, His doing, His baptism, given to you, where He joins you to Himself. It is a tremendous gift that is beyond our reckoning. And your Heavenly Father, He has placed you and all His saints into an eternal family, the Church. And it is in this Church that He continually pours out His grace by His Holy Spirit. Now, how does he do this? It is by his ordained means, his word, and his holy sacraments. And so we believe, teach, and confess that in this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. So, dear saints, let us rejoice. Let us give thanks and let us sing. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Christ is surely coming. And until he arrives, let us be wise. Let us cherish the gifts of his word and sacraments, partaking of them at every opportunity joyously. For they are life, and they are salvation itself. They are oil for your lamps, and they are Christ's gracious gifts for you. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church, as she eagerly awaits the return of her bridegroom, that we would not grow weary but that God would strengthen us through his word and sacraments to ever hold fast to his promise of salvation won by Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the priesthood of all believers, that we may proclaim the riches of God's name for the benefit of all people, and that the word of God may speed throughout all lands and nations. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For all farmers, ranchers, and everyone who works to, to deliver the bounty of God's goodness, that God would grant seasonable weather and plentiful harvests, that he would keep us ever mindful that the fruits of our labor are all a gift from his hand, and that he would make us faithful stewards over all he has entrusted to our care. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who govern us, especially Joseph our President, Michael our Governor, and all who make, administer, and judge our laws, that God would grant them wisdom, humility, and integrity, so that the work of their hands would be of benefit to all whom they serve and in accordance with his will, and that God would bring peace to our troubled world, so that all would hear the message of the gospel and rejoice in his salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who serve in our armed forces, that our heavenly King would grant them protection, strength, wisdom, and a safe return home, let us pray to the Lord. For those afflicted with pain, sickness, trials, and difficulties, as well as those recovering, especially Shirley Dover, Chuck Taney, John Motman, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Hermine Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they may be granted health and the certainty that our bodies will be incorruptible and immortal when Christ returns to make all things new, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for all who commune this day that the giver of the feast would grant them repentance and faith to receive his body and blood in a worthy manner, showing forth his praise in their lives. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we gratefully remember the sufferings and death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. Rejoicing in his victorious resurrection from the dead, we draw strength from his ascension before you, where he ever stands for us as our own High Priest. Gather us together from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us, for to you alone we give all glory, honor, and worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Once again, good morning and welcome. On this uh, joyous day where we receive oil for our lamps, Christ's gifts of grace and mercy. As we look ahead to the week's calendar here, uh, today, we, of course, we have Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. And then later on today, the Trinity Women's Group uh, will be meeting for their Hands of Mercy event. That's uh, today, this afternoon. Um, ladies, Nan uh, or, or uh, uh, Patty, what time should the ladies get here? Right after Sunday school. Okay, wonderful. So don't go anywhere, right? Okay, this coming Tuesday, our Women's Theology on Tap at 7. And then Wednesday, uh, we have at 9 o'clock in the morning, our Lutheran Confession Study Group, followed by Thanksgiving Eve Evening Prayer uh, later on that evening at 7. Thanksgiving cards are available in the library, so please contact Louise if you have any questions about that. Soon, Uh, and very soon, there will be Christmas cards available also. Uh, Again, note that this Wednesday at 7 p.m., or rather Thursday... No, it is Wednesday. What am I talking about? Third Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday. Thanksgiving Eve. You know what that means. uh, At 7 p.m. And then men, please note that uh, this month for Theology on Tap, it's Tuesday, November 29th at 7. So this Tuesday is women. Uh, The following Tuesday is the men at 7 p.m. I do believe that brings us to the end of our announcements. Anything I may have missed before we continue on with our morning? All right. God's peace be with you. Go in his peace, filled with his grace, rejoicing at his coming, whenever that may be. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'll greet you at the door.